Welcome to episode 49 of the Muck Podcast, where we discuss the dark and sometimes weird true stories in American politics. I'm Tina Jaramillo. And I'm Hillary Doherty. Hillary. Girl. We just recorded an episode. I know. So I'm going to sit here and pretend like we don't know anything going on. I know. <laughs> so I'm going to tell you about how I'm still listening to Talking Sopranos. Yes. You love these gentlemen. I love, first of all, Michael Imperioli is so brilliant and p.s like hot on a level oh my god he is looking good like you know not your typical brad pitt like hubba hubba no no he's handsome on another level there's something else going on here that puts him in another level hair now Mm. here's my question how tall is michael imperioli because you know i met i met Mm. um you know who i met one time sylvester stallone oh did you he's shorter than me no honey short and I was like, this is not, this is not what I think it was. Not, this is not Rambo. Stalike Rambo's Stallone. tiny. Rocky. Tiny. Rocky. So what's I prefer the Rocky Stallone. Oh yeah, please. This new racist, like yeah. anti, you know, no, no. MAGA guy. No, thank you. I think he's MAGA. I don't, I don't, I don't know. That new God. Rambo was supposed to be very anti-immigrant. Oh, come on, Rambo. <laughs> <laughs> Why is Rambo still around? It's I enough already. Know. He's got to be 80 years old. Well, you know what's great are those new Creed movies. Have you seen oh, the yes. Yes. Because Michael, oh, what God, what, damn it, damn it. Yes. What's his name? Oh, Michael B. Jordan. Yes. He was in, uh, of course, uh, Black Panther, but he is such a great actor and so hot. Yes. Hot. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. Tell me about Talking Sopranos. Oh, my God. So Michael Imperioli, I mean, he's, he's, he's very, 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 very intelligent, mm-hmm. and I love listening to when he breaks down the episodes because he he's a director and he's a writer. Um, he's written for, you know, he's done scripts and he's written episodes of the Sopranos and, but he's so detailed because he'll, he'll mention, you know, that there was a, a poster in the background or, or, or a mm. lyric of a song. And like, he ties it all together to what, like what is happening. And like, he notices, and it really highlights like how brilliant The Sopranos is because yes, every detail of every scene is so thought out. Well, they talked so about this. Good. They so talked good. about this all the time with The Sopranos. Even I got to tell you what I so what the thing I fucking hated the most about The Sopranos and probably why I need to listen to Talking Sopranos yes. is when Tony would have these wackadoo dreams. Oh, and I go, what the fuck? Another goddamn dream? Oh yeah, he told. Ta- yeah, there's got to be so much, so many things happening. Yes, that I don't even. Well, he's, he, he really breaks it down. He's re- and he really sees symbolism. He, it's yes. very, his I'm critique sure is very good. A lot going on there. And, but my, fa- and I just, I love Steve Sharipa so much. Yeah. I, I cannot tell you how much I love him. And my favorite, favorite thing in the world is at the end of the show, every, every week, he, you know, there's the little clip of him saying, you know, subscribe, mm-hmm. but he goes, make sure you subscribe. <laughs> Make sure make sure you subscribe, and I just it fills my heart with so much joy. It's it's so adorable. Yeah, and he is like. Well, it's also a New York. There's a New York sound. Oh my god! There's subscribe. a guy I work with that is very. The guy I work with, he's very New York, and he always goes down here breaking my balls. Oh my god, I love it. My favorite Italian he's, too. Italian he, too. Breaking my balls I, down here. I, and I was like, I love it so much. I just love listening to you. I, the banter between the two of them is perfect. Yeah. Um, but Steve Sherpa, I mean, he's had a really incredible career in entertainment mm. and he's got these stories. And oh my God. 
I love it. I love listening. And he and he breaks Michael's balls a lot. He does. Like he's always like, yeah, remember balls. how he's he's like, you remember how you high hatted me when we first met? And I, and Michael Imperial is like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. And he's like, no, you high hatted me. It's okay. It's so funny. Anyway, I love it. It makes me happy. Well, let me show you what I've been doing. I, hold on. Oh, so okay. First of all, like I was out because I was home for like a week, right? Yes. Recovering from my wackadoo gallbladder removal nonsense. Yes. And I get, I love painting. Okay. But what I like to do is like, I, when I'm on Instagram, I look at paintings and stuff yes. and I like recreating with something somebody's already done because I have zero imagination Oh no! when it comes to painting. But I'm like, I look at something, I go, I could make that, yes. you know? And so I've been doing that, but I, <gasps> so I go to Michael's and I'm like wandering the paint aisles, oh. like buying canvases and stuff. And I was like, I've never done watercolor before. Oh. And I heard it's very, very difficult, but hello, YouTube. Thank you very much, YouTube, right? So I get on YouTube yesterday. I go and buy a paint set and the brushes and yes. I got paper, it's watercolor paper. You yes. don't really do it on the canvas. And I watched YouTube and made flowers. I got to show you. Hold oh on. my God. I'm so excited. Oh my God. <laughs> They're so beautiful. Can you believe that? <gasps> Hillary. Look at, those, look at those roses. It's gorgeous. Girl, you could make like such cute little prints. I was thinking that. Oh my God, they are beautiful. I think I want to make for my mother-in-law. My mother-in-law is super into Christmas. Oh and I was God. thinking about making her a tree, like doing a tree, not like yes. overly decorated Christmas tree, but like winter, like a tree. Yes. A or even like the little, the sprigs with like the berries on it. Yes. You know? Oh, she would fucking love it. Oh my God. It's gorgeous. Aren't those put good? Put in little frames. Yeah. Well, I was looking at them and I was like, I could, I can't believe how... Easy there, this is, but yeah, it's but because it's beautiful. It's just watching this girl do them on YouTube. It's beautiful. It was, and by the way, so much fun. I like, have to, so I have to say the other thing that um, my convalescence, <laughs> you know, yeah, reminded me. I'm sitting me, around oh, like doing yes, nothing. Yeah. Yes, reminded me and and of of the things that I enjoy doing. And my mm. husband, my husband likes to paint. Mm. He likes to, you know. Um, He'll like to like find like a, a, an old something and like you know strip it and and oh um, cool yeah you know, furniture like, you mean yeah mm -hmm. you know we find like we found like a little table on the side of the road and he's like oh I can strip it and like revarnish it and oh then, that's cool you know and I said to him I said you know I wish that was our life where we just <sighs> were able to do the creative things that we really enjoy and that's it yeah like, you know well that's what so yesterday when I was doing those. My daughter came and sat down. She got a canvas and she started painting, it's, it, which kind of, it's very cute. It's like a cloud and the sun's coming up and it's got a big smiley face yes. on it. It's really cute. But um, she's like, and I was listening to my records, of course. And she was like, this is so relaxing. I'm like, yeah, turn the TV off. Yes. Like, let's get out of this and like, just be creative, yes. you know? I don't it's know. It's lovely. I love it. It's something to do that's not, you know? Yes. I can't stand the news anymore. Oh. I hate this world. Yeah. People are fucking nuts. Yeah. I, on Twitter, this is the last thing and then we'll get into this, but like the, um, there was a tweet, I think I retweeted it from our muck, uh, muck podcast at, at muck podcast on Twitter, but I, it was a kid had, um, the teacher played this voicemail she got from a parent and the, she's filming, uh, she's a, a a picture of a piece of homework and it was the United States and they had to color in the States yes. that each president won. Trump's were red and Biden's were blue. And it said at the bottom, like Biden, uh, 300, whatever, yeah. 290 Trump, whatever his number was. And then it said Biden won at the bottom. Like it's an, it's just an yeah. activity for the kids to understand like what the election was whatever. and the electoral college and right. Yeah. 
And this mother left a message. Oh, God. Saying this is not true. Like, why would you tell the kids that Biden won? Oh, come When he did it, this is, these numbers aren't even correct. It's like, what are you doing? Like, how are you going to address this? And the teacher's like, well, I'm very sorry that you're upset. Oh, but I didn't t- go over with them that some of these states are still going through it. They're recounting, but they have been called. And she was like, but these are not. And I explained to him and he said to me, well, why would she tell us that this was the, like, now the kid's questioning the teacher. It's like, why would she tell us this? Because his mother is telling him. Oh my God. What in the fuck is going on now? No, 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 no. Are we at all concerned? poor children. Are we at all concerned that he's not walking out of that office? Are we at all concerned about that? I mean, I don't know. I just hold on to our chase and blank interview yeah, you're right none you're of right. it none of it's gonna the matter they're they're gonna i just want handcuffs that's all because mm, we know good. i mean i know i keep saying it but we know that it's only about avoiding an indictment yeah he doesn't care about our country i know no 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 that's oh oh, and, oh how about uh ivanka trump's friend uh wrote a whole thing about um how they were like best friends growing up and how trump would always you know say to her Oh, is Ivanka the most beautiful girl in the class? And who could be more beautiful? But but Ugh. my favorite thing is that she talks about uh, uh, someone farted in the classroom and it was her, and like uh, she blamed it on someone else. Oh my God! <laughs> what? Where is this at? Oh Where my God! I, I forget. But it 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 just was so funny. I was like, uh, but it just basically highlighted. Um just comments that she had made like throughout their friendship and then mm. you know her finally like realizing like this isn't my friend right you know? um but kind of and spilling the details but it's it's so <laughs> funny i was like oh look at her trying to hide the fart <laughs> oh. that's a normal thing i think girls would do yes but it just made me laugh that she was <laughs> yeah. like blaming others oh my god you know all right so i'm first yes all right, are you ready for this? I am. Because you're not ready for this, <gasps> Tina. You're not ready. Okay. <laughs> I'm so excited. It's so stupid and silly, but I think it's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even look at you. Today, I'm going to talk about former governor of California. Uh, oh, no. Anna Schwarzenegger. No. <laughs> Schwarzenegger. Oh. It's a very dangerous word to say, by the way. It sounds I'll very close to a, the end word at the end there. Back. Oh. <laughs> it oh. sounds very close to the end. Uh, yeah, let's talk about Arnold Schwarzenegger, the governor. <laughs> <laughs> the governor of California. Oh, the gov- <laughs> <laughs> He's oh, so good. My God. And I'm not mocking his the way that he speaks. I, I listen. The man is uh, incredibly smart, and look how far he came and driven and like oh, make amazing. It, I mean, but as a governor, eh, yeah, not so great. St- Should have stuck to the Conan films, to the yes, yes, Conan the Barbarian, Conan the Destroyer. Yes, so I, I what other ones there I, I wanted to do this because um, he had said you know he's he's dragging Trump all the time, which is hilarious. But he uh, he said something recently about being governor i was like oh my god i completely forgot yes. that he was the governor of california <laughs> he sure was what how did i forget that uh, it wasn't that long ago it wasn't that long ago and he's isn't he married to uh maria shriver oh no, not anymore oh they oh they're total divorced. scandal <gasps> you don't remember this no so they broke up because um she's like a kennedy she's a kennedy yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um they broke up because he 
there they she found out that he had a son with the with the maid <gasps> oh yes this is Remember? coming back to me yes and so no. they broke up but and did the did the son know that he was yes. the dad <gasps> so there he looks keeping... just like him p.s oh no he looks just like him and that is horrible it's horrible but <sighs> that's uh that's arnold for you. Oh, my God. Schwarzenegger. Well. I love saying that name. Okay, so let's talk about Arnold. So he was born July 30th, 1947 in Dang. Austria. His father was the local chief of police and had served in World War II after voluntarily joining the Nazi party in 1938. Now, oh. let me say something. He, he apparently, about 15, 20 years ago, Arnold, went back and asked for people to go through, hired somebody to go through and find documents he's saying that his father was not part of the nazi party well he probably i mean imagine like you don't want to imagine that as your dad and at the time i don't think you know i think there was a nazi party before it was the nazi party Eh. all right i'm just saying like maybe he thought it was a military thing and then it turned into a nightmare i don't know i don't i'm not defending it but He's saying he wasn't. You're given the benefit of the doubt. I Let's just, who cares? I don't know this dad from the hole in the wall. I'm just saying. <laughs> According to Schwarzenegger, his parents were very strict. He said, quote, back then in Austria, it was a very different world. If we did something bad and we disobeyed our parents, the rod was not spared. Mm. He grew up in a Catholic family who attended mass every Sunday. He was a, he had a good relationship with his mother, whom he kept in touch with uh, until her death. In later life, he commissioned... Here we go. In later life, he commissioned the Simon Weisenthal Center to research his father's wartime record, which came up with no evidence of his dad being involved in atrocities, despite his membership in the Nazi party. So uh, he just signed up one day. They're like, hey, hey, yeah. can we get your signature? We need people. Oh, and okay. wasn't sure. involved. So what? He didn't work at one of the concentration camps. Like, what's the deal? Right. Yeah. Or are you just a member of a party? Right. You know. Like we're a member of the Democratic Party. Right. That doesn't mean that we're like doing work for the party. Right. So. So. Um, yeah. But this was also all came out when he was running for office, right. of course. Um, in an interview with Fortune in 2004, Schwarzenegger told how he suffered what would be called today child abuse at the hands of his father. He put he, his hair was pulled. I was hit with belts. So was the kid next door. It was just the way that it was. Many of the children I've seen were broken by their parents, which was the German Austrian mentality. They didn't want to create an individual. It was all about conforming. I was one who did not conform and whose whose will could not be broken Mm. therefore i became a rebel every time i got hit and every time someone said you can't do this i said this is not going to be for much longer because i'm going to move out of here and i want to be rich i want to be somebody end quote wow and he did and he did at school schwarzenegger was reportedly academically average but stood out for his quote cheerful good humored and exuberant character money was a problem in their household schwarzenegger recalled that one of the highlights of his youth was when the family bought a refrigerator. Heavily influenced by his father, he played several sports as a boy. He began weight training in 1960 when his soccer coach took him to the local gym. At the age of 14, he chose bodybuilding over soccer as a career. Schwarzenegger took uh, to visiting a gym in Graz, Graz, Austria, where he also frequented the local movie theaters to see bodybuilding idols such as Reg Park, Steve Reeves, and Johnny Weissmuller on the big screen. Yeah, he used to be, I mean, before he was... You know, yeah. The actor, they have those old, the old footage of yes. him, like, and he was like, I mean, it's incredible. One of those huge. Yes. Ugh. I was looking at pictures of myself. I showed it to yeah. my husband. I, I was like, like, look I at this. I look don't at like this. that at all. It's crazy. Ugh. It's too much. The leg muscle was like all you the know, lines in it, four inches wide. Yeah. Uh, 
Jesus. Ugh. It's crazy. And then they got to like oil themselves yes. up. Like, <laughs> they bronze know, themselves. Yeah. It's Ugh. weird. And they wear these little tiny underpants. Uh, Schwarzenegger served in the Austrian army in 1965 to fulfill the one year of service required at the time of all 18 year olds, Austrian males. He entered a bodybuilding contest um, where he placed second place that year. He was voted quote, best built man of Europe, which made him famous in bodybuilding circles. Dang. The Mr. Universe, the quote, the, the Mr. Universe title was my ticket to America, the land of opportunity where I could become a, a star and get rich. Schwarzenegger made his first plane trip to 19, in 1966, attending the NABA Mr. Universe competition in London. He would come in second in the Mr. Universe competition, not having the muscle definition of American winner Chester Yorton. Charles Bennett, one of the judges at the 1966 competition, was impressed by Schwarzenegger and he offered to coach him. Schwarzenegger had little money, but Bennett invited him to stay in his crowded family home and one above one of his two gyms in Forest Gate, London. Dang. Yeah. Under a training program devised by Bennett, they concentrated on improving the muscle definition and power in his legs. Oh my god. His legs were humongous. Yeah, it was just, crazy. But it's like that sinewy Yes. Uh, 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 <laughs> I, I just like that. So do you like guys that have uh, some muscles or do you like so, if, if they're if you know guys that are like i saw a guy running in fort lauderdale on friday and i almost broke like crashed into a building <laughs> so he like he had no shirt on first yes. of all like please put a shirt on i am 40 and like need to look at men but do not this is distraction anyway he had like one of those triangle shapes yes. you know like the shoulders were wide yes. and it came in like yes. in the, into his waist Ooh, and the little v yes yes that's nice but not overly built. No, no, no. I don't uh, like... Definition. Have some definition. Okay. Muscle. But do you like the? Do you like the tall, soccer, thin? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. No, I don't like big, muscly. I don't like that at all. Like but the, this is outrageous. Yeah. This is this uh, is crazy. I just muscle and like like you know the big puffed out chest yes. and like you know yeah. Put your arms down, dude. <laughs> yeah, they can't. <laughs> they literally can't do it. I know. They're like T Rex. They become T Rexes. Okay, anyway, let me wipe the drool <laughs> off my mouth. Okay, so uh, staying in the east end of London helped Schwarzenegger improve his rudimentary grasp of the English language. The training pad off and on, off, the training pa paid off, and in 1967, Schwarzenegger won the title for the first time, becoming the youngest ever Mr. Universe at the age of 20. Wow. He would go on to win the title a further three times. Wow, so he's young. Yeah. He then flew back to Munich, where he attended a business school and worked in a health club. Um, and returning in 1968 to London to win his next Mr. Universe title. He frequently told Roger C. Field, his English coach and friend in Munich at the time, quote, I'm going to become the greatest actor, end quote. Oh. Yeah. So he had, oh, so he did have dreams yes. of being an actor from yes. a young age. Yes. Schwarzenegger. I didn't know if he had just fallen into it. Like, I, I always thought like Conan the Barbarian, like maybe they were like, yeah. oh, we need some bodybuilder guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get this guy. And then that was like, oh, I can do this. I didn't realize that. No, he, he had wants the little it. bug. He wants it all. Maybe yeah. he thought that would be the easiest way to get rich quick, maybe. Uh, Schwarzenegger, who dreamed of moving to the U.S. since the age of 10 and saw bodybuilding as the avenue through which to do so, realized his dream by moving to the United States in October 1968 at the age of 21, speaking little English. There he trained at Gold's Gym in Venice, Los Angeles, California under Joe Weider's supervision. In 1970, at the age of 23, he captured his first Mr. Olympia title in New York and would go on to win the, to the title a total of seven times. Dang. In 1977, Schwarzenegger auto Schwarzenegger's autobiography slash weight training guide, Arnold, The Education of a Bodybuilder, became a huge success. 
Due to taking an assortment of courses at Santa Monica College in California, including English classes, as well as further upper division classes at the University of California, Los Angeles, as part of UCLA's extension program, Schwarzenegger had by then accumulated enough credits so as to be, quote, within striking distance of graduation. In 1979, he enrolled at the University of Wisconsin-Superior as a distance education student, completing most of his coursework by correspondence and flying out to Superior to meet professors and take final exams. In May 1980, he formally graduated and received his bachelor's degree in business administration and marketing and he got his United States citizenship in 1983. Wow, good for you. It's amazing. Like yeah. this is the this is the quintessential, you know, American kind of dream, the story that you can come to this country the, the, yeah. and like do this thing, right. you know? It's amazing. Right. Uh okay. So Schwarzenegger wanted to move from bodybuilding into acting, finally achieving it when he was chosen to play the title role uh, in Hercules in New York in 1970. What? I've never even yeah. heard of this. Credited under the stage name Arnold Strong. Oh, no. His accent <laughs> in the film was so thick that his lines were dubbed after production. No. I know. Oh, my it's a bummer. God. That's a bummer, bro. Um, <laughs> it sucks. All right, all right. But listen, we Arnold know this is not, not going to hold our man down, right? His second film appearance was a deaf-mute mob hitman. No. In The Long Goodbye. No. Which was followed by a much more significant part in the, pl- in the film Stay Hungry, for which he won the Golden Globe Award for New Star of the Year. What? Yeah. I have never even heard of that film. Me neither. Uh, Schwarzenegger drew attention and boosted his profile in the bodybuilding film Pumping Iron in 1977. Okay, well, that's it. That's what the one, that's, that's the movie we all, everybody yeah, has. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In 1991, he purchased the rights to the film, its outtakes, and associated still photography. Wow. In 1977, he made a guest appearance in single episodes of the ABC sitcom the San Pedro Beach Bums, and the ABC Police Procedural, The Streets of San Francisco. Schwarzenegger auditioned for the role, title role of The Incredible Hulk, but he's not win the role Lou because Ferrigno. of his height. Hey. Later, Lou Ferrigno got the part of Dr. David Banner's alter ego. Lou Ferrigno. Like, yeah. so, Remember him? Yes. yes. So my cousins are huge, were huge Incredible Hulk fans, like, growing up. Yeah. Like, loved it. And then Hulu recently has episode like the original oh cool so i i, I said well okay, let's just well, i haven't seen this since i was like five years old or some who yeah. knows and so we watched um an episode and my son and i could not stop laughing because oh. like one the 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 effects yes but yeah, like, yeah. the first thing like he throw the hulk throws a bear and it's like it's <laughs> like this still of this bear like flying over a lake and it's so funny and 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 my son kept rewinding and we watched it again but it just was hysterical oh that's funny yeah um okay so he uh, he appeared with Kirk Douglas and Anne Margaret in the 1979 comedy The Villain. In 1980, he starred in a biographical film of the 1950s actress Jane Mansfield as Mansfield's husband, Mickey uh, Hargaday. I did I not did, know I didn't that know he that did either. all of this acting. Yeah. I really thought it was pumping iron and straight to life. No, no. Yeah, Conan so the Barbarian. So here we go. So his breakthrough film was the sword and sorcery epic Conan the Barbarian in 1982, which was a box office hit. This was followed by a sequel, Conan the destroyer yeah that's the one that i watched all the time you did yeah (laughs) in 1984 and it was not as successful as the first movie so cheese in 1983 schwarzenegger starred in the promotional video carnival in rio for the for the for the for the carnival in 1984 he made his first appearance as the title character and some would say his acting career signature role in james cameron's science fiction thriller film 
The Terminator. I mean, th- that's the other one. Yes. I'll be back. And P.S. So when he becomes governor, like when he starts talking about bills that he wants passed and things like that, he's like, he would say things like, um, you know, we're going to, he would just use the lines he from this movie <laughs> and be like, you know what? I, I told you I'll be back with this bill. Oh like, you know, he would God. just say stupid. And we're going to say hasta la viva, baby, <laughs> to like, or hasta la vista, baby, to this thing. And I was just like, all right, wrap it up, motherfucker. Wow. Like nobody, like people, could you imagine the eye rolls? They're like, oh, oh. they're going to be like, come on. Okay, we get it. We know you were a famous actor. Like probably somebody probably laughed at that one time. Yeah. And now he's like using it every time he says something. Yes. Schwarzenegger's roles reflected his sense of humor, separating him from more serious action hero films. I would agree with that, right? Yeah. Like he would always be pretty funny. He's a good comedic timing. Yes. Um, he made a number of successful action films in the 1980s, such as Commando, Raw Deal, oh, The Running Commando, Man. I forgot about. Oh, Running Man. That yeah. was a good one too. Predator. Predator. My Red husband and, loves Predator. Um, Red Heat. And then in 1988, he made one of my favorite movies ever, Twins, with Danny yes, DeVito. Which I is, fucking love that movie. Yes. I remember that where, um, oh, there's like a, I remember Danny DeVito singing a little song to him about like hooking up with the girl. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's such a good movie. Yeah. And he's like um, the bumbling shy. Yes. It's, yes. It's cute. It's so good. Total Recall in 1990. That's, that was a good movie. Yeah. It, Is that it, the one with the thing in the nose and he pulls out like a capsule or something? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, it netted Schwarzenegger $10 million and 15% of the film's gross. Wow. Kindergarten Cop in 1990 reunited him with I- director Ivan Reitman, who had directed him in Twins, which was also a huge movie. That yes. tumor, I do not yeah. have a tumor. It's right? not a tumor. It's not a tumor. Yeah. <laughs> Schwarzenegger's commercial peak was his return as a title character in 1991 Terminator 2 Judgment Day, which was the highest grossing film of 1991. Wow. That's a great movie. That's I haven't movie. I haven't seen those in so long. Oh my god, we've been watching them recently. Yeah. We would my husband's been watching them with my son. Eh. Oh, P.S. You know what we watched together? All me with the kids is um sh- the new Sherlock for the BBC version Sherlock, the new one. Oh. with Benedict Cumberbatch. We watched all the episodes. Is it good? It's such a. I was watching it by myself years ago, and then. But do the kids like it? Loved it. Oh really? So much that my son. I said to my son. You know this is based on books, right? But the acting is so good. It just yes. draws you in. It's, he's just so smart and quick and funny. Um, but I, So then he's like, I want to read the book. So I got all these like yes. um, uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle yes. books. Thank yes. you. And uh, like kid versions. Yeah. You know, and he loves them. So it's cool. Oh. But anyway, you should watch that. They'd probably yes. really like it. It's funny. Okay. So here we are. He's a star. You know, we're now we're this is like 1994. Okay, so wait, one more film. So his next film was the comedy drama True Lies in 1994. Oh yes, that's with with James Cameron and and um, Jamie Lee Curtis. Jamie Lee Curtis. That that was that was a good pair up. Yes, that was fantastic. Yeah, and a lot filmed in Miami, right here. And so anyway, okay. Um, so here we are. It's 1994. He kind of starts to like stop doing films after this. They, he says he's retired, but whatever. Yeah. He, he's made making films oh recently. God, he probably has so much money. Oh, forget about it. So st- shit starts happening in California. All right. So I want to talk about how he becomes governor of California. And okay. what first happens is the recall of the governor, Gray Davis. So in 2001, California was in the middle of an electricity crisis. Soon after taking office, Governor Gray Davis was able to fast track the first power plant construction in 12 years in April 1999, although the plant did not become, did not come online before the electricity crisis. So okay. they knew this thing was coming. 
And she's obviously, trying to pre- nobody did this on in time. Yeah, preempt whatever you know. Yeah, government works slow. According to the subsequent Federal Energy Regulatory Commission's investigation and report, numerous energy trading companies, many based in Texas, such as Enron, Ugh. illegally restricted their supply to this point. Rolling blackouts affecting 97,000 customers hit the San Francisco Bay Area on June 4th, wow. 14th, 2000, and San Diego Gas and Electric, and Electric Company filed a complaint alleging market manipulation by some energy producers in August 2000. It's, it's ridiculous. It's bad. On December 7th, 2000, suffering from low supply and idled power plants, the California Independent System Operator, which manages the California power grid, declared the first statewide stage three power alert, meaning power reserves were below 3%. Wow. Okay. So rolling blackouts were avoided when the state halted two large, um, when the state halted two large state and federal water pumps to conserve electricity. So they stopped pumping water. Okay. Which was run. Right. To, so that they could have, you know, residents. for people, yeah. On January 17th, 2001, Davis declared a state of emergency in response to electricity crisis. Speculators led by Enron were Ugh. collectively making large profits while the state teetered you know, on the edge. Such, it's such garbage. I know. They teetered on the edge for weeks and finally suffered rolling blackouts on January 17th and 18th. Despite stepped, I mean, I'm sorry, Davis stepped in to buy power at highly unfavorable terms on the open market since the California power companies were technically bankrupt and had no buying power. California agreed to pay $43 billion <gasps> for power over the next 20 years. What? Newspapers published, newspaper publishers sued Davis to force him to make the pub, public the details of the energy deal because yes. he had made them so quickly that it wasn't really yeah. out there, right? Oh, my God. Yeah. During the electricity crisis, the Davis administration implemented a power conservation program that included television ads and financial incentives to reduce energy consumption. These efforts, the fear of rolling blackouts, and the increased cost of electricity resulted in 14.1% reduction in the electricity usage from June 2000 to June 2001. Gray Davis critics often charged that he did not respond properly to the crisis, while his defenders attributed the crisis solely to the corporate accounting scandals and say that Davis I mean, did all he could. It sounds about right. Yeah. Some critics on the left, although Gray was a Democrat, some critics on the left, such as Ariana Huffington, alleged that Davis was lulled to inaction by campaign contributions oh, from energy producers. Come on. Come on. I, I just, the selfishness of people. Yeah. Or to, because can we, can we stop mean, taking monies from companies that you're actually going to have to yeah, regulate and, maybe? and deal with. I, yeah. That should be, it, it should be illegal. You should yeah. not be able to, to play these games just because California's, when you have a rolling blackout, you don't know if someone is on a, a some yeah. kind of pump at home that's yes. helping them stay alive. Yes. Come it's on. incredible. But that wasn't the only thing that was going on. So during the economic boom of the Davis administration, the California budget expanded to cover Davis's new programs. California's new low, California's low national, low national, so it's not a great, K-12 education rankings, and Davis's campaign pledge to help education, along with the large majority, large majority that elected Davis to his first term and his early pop- popularity, suggests that a majority of California Californians supported increases in, in education spending during the early part of his first term when California was in a budget surplus. Mm. Polls also showed that increased spending in education was supported by the California voters. Okay, so they voted for him. They're like, right. okay, we're going to do this. Under the Davis administration, taxes were cut 
by over $5.1 billion. That included a $3.5 billion cut in sales tax and a reduction in the vehicle licensing fees. So they're Mm. in a surplus. So they're able to do this because they're like, we don't need to have taxes this high, right? Right. When California's economy was expanding, California was producing record budget surpluses under Davis, even after his tax cuts and new spending. Wow. According to the California Department of Finance, California had a 10% surplus at the end of 1999, and California was projected to have a 4% surplus at the end of the fiscal year 2000. Like, this is great. Yeah, of course. And these were monies that were left in the treasury, like that money was there. Davis claimed to be cautious with the state finances. He said, quote, I'm trying to chart a prudent course and keep us somewhere in the middle. I don't want to jump the gun on spending. I don't want to jump the gun on tax relief. So it's like, okay, we're going to stay right where we are. Safe. Great. Thank you. Yes. Then. Oh, gosh. The dot-com boom that had been fueling California's record tax revenues went bust. Bye-bye. So California was home to a large number of high-tech firms and was largely dependent on the state income tax. Oh, the Silicon Valley people. So this, yeah. So this now, boom, you know, goes yeah. away, and state revenues fell, fell while ongoing spending commitments created deficits. Oh no! So all that money is gone, and restoring the vehicle lic- licensing fees to pre-tax cut levels to close the budget gap and stabilize, st- stabilize the state's credit rating became unpopular. But what are we going to do? Like, what do you I mean, want me to is, do? This is the thing. <laughs> I don't know. I mean. I think that's the thing. My husband and I talk about taxes all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, would it be nice to live in a world with no taxes? Sure. Yeah. But but taxes are necessary. Um, but the, t- the taxes have to be, people have to understand what the taxes are being used for. Right. You know? Well, this was the easiest thing to restore because yeah. he had just taken it away. Yeah. And so that became a big, a, a big point in yes. all of it anyway. So, um, the beginning shortfall for the 2002-2003 state budget was $23.6 billion. Shortfall. That's a lot. Davis announced that the 2003-2004 budget shortfall would be $34.6 oh billion. God. While the legislative analysts projected a 21.1. But, so it's a little still, a lot less, but still, still it's a lot. It's a billions. Yeah. The billions. So in May 2001, in the middle of the California electricity crisis, his numbers, like his approval ratings, declined to 42% approval. And in April 2003, two years later, Davis had a 24% approval rating. So really super low. Yeah. Davis had tried to maintain a middle-of-the-road approach, but ultimately alienated many of the state's liberals who viewed him as too conservative and many conservatives who viewed him as too liberal. Uh, many were upset that in trying to balance the budget, Davis has cut spending for schools while increasing spending for prisons. Mm. Gray was reelected to a second term in 2002, but his term would only last 10 months. In July 2003, a sufficient number of citizen signatures were collected for a recall election. The initial drive for the recall was fueled by funds from the personal fortune of U.S. Rep. Daryl Issa, a Republican who originally hoped to replace Davis himself. Uh, <laughs> but he didn't know what he had coming because the governor is coming. Yes, Terminator is I coming. Love but I love that. Seat. Oh, um, and the... Is there some kind of total recall joke happens <laughs> with the recall election? That's funny. Um, the 2003 California recall special election was the goal of the quote dump Davis campaign and constitu and constituted 
constitu- sorry, constituated the first gubernatorial recall in California history and only the second in U.S. history. Wow. Write that down. We got to find the first one and do I that know, story. I know. Early in the run-up to the recall election, Davis ca- called the recall election an insult to the 8 million voters who had voted for him in right. the 2002 gubernatorial election. Davis tried to depict the recall as a $66 million waste of money, <laughs> which is incredibly, and it breaks already my heart. already deficit. Yeah. A waste of money that could allow a candidate with a very small percentage of the vote to become governor, potentially somehow who was very liberal or conservative as there are no primaries in a recall election. So on the ballot are like 134 fucking people, by the way. Yeah. In September 2003, Davis conceded that he had lost touch with the voters and he Mm. was trying to reconnect to correct that with numerous town hall meetings. During the recall, Davis blamed some of the state's problems on his predecessor, Pete Wilson. Uh, Yeah, you can't. You can't. It really like things happen. Just take the blame. Just dot com happened on your watch. It sucks. Like that sucks. But that's what happened. um, Davis claimed that he would rather. He would have rather raised taxes on the upper tax brackets instead of restoring the vehicle registration fees. And yeah, too little, students. too late. Yeah, so he did that, but he also raised st- college st- uh, student tuition. You know, instead of going after the high tax people, like, uh, why are we, are we always protecting people who have so much money? And at the end of the day, it's not, they're still going to be filthy rich. Yeah. No, we're going to make students carry that load on their backs for the rest of their fucking lives. On October 7th, 2003, Davis was recalled with 55.4% of the votes in favor of the recall and... Republican Arnold Schwarzenegger oh was elected god. to replace him as governor of California. Oh my god! I'll never forget this. I have cousins that live in California, and one of them had come over, was down here for something. I don't know what it was. We were at dinner during this election, like not when before Arnold won and he was running. Yeah, I remember my brother said to my cousin, "Are you going to vote for Arnold Schwarzenegger?" And she was like, "What are you fucking nuts?" Like, oh, yeah, my brother was in that case. Like, are you crazy? I know. And so I thought, I don't know. I just but this is that so American funny. thing that just yeah. just because someone is an actor. Or that they're a public, they're in the public eye. That somehow they have the legitimacy right. to be able to hold a seat, and you know that's not. Oh, we, there is this this sickness in America. The the oh god, what is it? The um, Kruger Dunham. It's the Kruger Dunham effect, where you know people who are incompetent somehow think that they're competent and they mm. can't see it. It's like the right. whole Trump administration. Right. Well, that's kind of like what happens here because this is not a good situation to be walking into anyway. So the Bay Area and Los Angeles County were the only two regions in California to not to vote no on the recall. On the night of the recall, Davis said he would help Schwarzenegger in the transition and he later urged his staff to do the same. Wow, what a concept. I know. Uh, his last day Except in office... Defeat. His last day mm. in office was November 17th, 2003. So, you know, basically... I mean, you can kind of tell the writing is on the wall. Like I would never want to be in a position or run for a seat where you're walking into a goddamn shit show. Yeah. How the fuck are you going to turn this around? How are you going to do it? Right. Like this is not a good situation. No, I mean, it's billions of dollars a debt. It's fucked. It's people who are upset about certain taxes. Yeah. It's fucked up. Like it's it's bad, 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 bad. And you really should have a lot of experience. Well, he's the terminator. He's going to (laughs) terminate that debt. You know, before you walk in there. Like, could you imagine being a person who's voting in that state and going, why we need help. And this is what, this is who, this is what we have. This is what's offered. And listen, I respect actors. Well, I mean, yes, but like, but just because you're an actor does not mean you know how to balance a budget. Yeah. It doesn't mean if you need a heart surgeon, you don't oh, send in Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's like the guy, it's like the guy, the football guy that just got elected as a Senate seat 
in like Indiana or some like, you know, Midwest. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I can't recall the state. Um, he just got elected and they asked him, what are the three branches of government? No. And he doesn't know the answer. Uh, uh. He doesn't know the answer. Oh my God. And you have been elected as a senator. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. Well, our school system is failing people. It's, that's basic But you don't run for an office when you don't even know the branches of government? Well, how are you supposed to be, be a leader? How are you supposed to work? How do you, I, I, and this is that thing, like there is just people yeah. who, who, who think that, that because they have an interest in something that suddenly they are the thing. Yeah. Well, you should, and you should, you would hope that you would know yourself enough to say, that's probably not some, the job yes. for me. No. Like it's I know a, I wouldn't run ego. out, go out and run for governor. It makes no ego. sense. Ego. Yeah. Ego. And then you get people to surround them who think that everything's fine. They'll be oh, fine. God. So within minutes. They can manipulate them. Yeah. <laughs> right. To their own benefit. Within minutes after being inaugurated, Schwarzenegger's first action as governor was restoring the vehicle registration fee to 0.65% of a car's value, which was raised to 2% on October 1st, you know, trying to make that yeah. money back, instantly blowing a nearly $4 billion annual hole in his budget. So wow. that's how much money that wow. was bringing in was $4 billion. So wow. right off the bat, fucked. Yeah. Fucked yourself again. Uh, it was announced <sighs> on December 12th that Schwarzenegger and the California state legislature reached an agreement that put on the ballot a bond issue to finance as much as $15 billion in debt and a constitutional spend limit. So they're they're trying yeah. to get bonds, which again, <sighs> when, they, when you read articles, I read a couple of articles about like what a failure he was as a governor and it because well to be honest with you he's walking into a failed it, it yeah was no bad. no he's, like, he's in a bad but the steps um, he took even went against everything he was running on like we we no more debt no more debt then he wants to put bonds on that would add more debt <laughs> so it's yeah. like why are you even you know he's trying to stop the, yes, the bleed yes but, he's just making it worse yeah um on December 18th, Schwarzenegger declared a financial crisis and said he would bypass a legislature to impose $150 million in spending cuts. My On God. January 6th, 2004, Schwarzenegger gave his first state of the state address in which he warned voters to expect deep budget cuts and urged them to support $15 million in bonds. In the budget proposal that he presented on January 9th, Schwarzenegger's plan was to cut spending by more than $4.6 billion with the largest reduction Roughly $2.7 billion coming from health and human services programs. Mm. Bad. Acknowledging that the reduction would be painful to many of the poorest Californians, oh. Schwarzenegger said um, it would be irresponsible spending by his predecessor that forced his hand. But what, what about the idea of taxing nope. richer people? No, we're going to cut. We're just going to cut the programs that people need. On October 29th, Schwarzenegger vetoed 52 bills that would have legalized same-sex marriage, raised the minimum wage. Are you wage, kidding me? No. Raised the minimum wage, gave residents access to cheaper prescriptions in Canada, oh my God. created greater oversight on the state's $3 billion stem cell research program and other actions. Um, he's, but he did sign a bill on September 30th that tripled damages celebrities could win from paparazzi if they were assaulted during a shoot oh. and denied the photographer's profits from any pict- pictures taken in an altercation. Oh, so that's good. Yeah. On October 7th, Schwarzenegger signed legislation to outlaw the sale of teenagers, uh, two teenagers of electronic games featuring reckless mayhem and explicit sexuality. Oh, <laughs> come on. Probably a game that his, one of his characters is yes, used Yes, Terminator. <laughs> Predator. Come on. That he might be making some money off of. We don't know. In the special election of no- on November 8th, all four of Schwarzenegger's signature ballot proposals 
were rejected by the voters as well as four other initiatives. So the way California is like, he makes proposed propositions yes. that get put on the ballot. They've got to be approved by like the, the legislature, but yeah. also the voters have to approve them. I like and that. And they don't go through it, right? And lo and behold, he's reelected to a second term in 2007. <laughs> so during this term, guess what happens? Just like the dot-com yes. fails, the real estate bubble bursts. Yes, because right? yeah, right around 2008. Yeah. yeah. So it plunges Eight, California nine, yeah. further into a financial crisis. Here we go. And, and so that real estate... God, oh. you get a, a one bedroom, two bedroom house. It's like a million dollars. I mean, it's ridiculous yeah. how expensive yes. real estate is. Yes. There. So we he can live there. Right. He pledged to be a centrist politician and cooperate with the Democrats and to resolve statewide political issues. One of the things that he said uh, during the first term, maybe it was the second term, is that these Democrats wouldn't go along with something he wanted. And he goes, you're, a bunch, you're like a bunch of girly men. No, and he like, did yes! not. And they're all like, what the fuck? Like, you know, it's like he kept pulling it's an out. SNL skit. Yes, he kept pulling out. <laughs> and then he went around to, he was trying to help George W. Bush get reelected. Oh. And he went to like, I think Ohio or something. And he's like, I'm here to pump you up. No. To vote for George W. Bush. No, no. <laughs> Listen, but you know what? You know what? People it. buy it. They, oh, they, oh, they're they cheering. They lap it up. They're cheering. Yes. I would love to see another George W. Bush. Let's go. Get him in office. Yeah. Like, hello. Can we please? Yes. I can't. Um, okay. <sighs> Only days into this term, the governor proposed universal health insurance in the state and called for new bonds for schools, prisons, and other infrastructure. So more bonds, more okay, debt, yeah. you know? By October, Schwarzenegger vetoed 35% of the bills that the California state legislature passed, Come which was the, the highest rate had ever been uh, vetoed since statistic, st- statistic was first tracked when Ronald Reagan was governor of the state. The governor who vowed to cut up the state's credit card had been instrumental in tripling its outstanding oh debt. Oh my God. Before Schwarzenegger took office, the UC and Cal state systems um, were stressed but could still fulfill the dream of an affordable quality education for every Californian. So University of California, right. and California state. In-state tuition at California state campuses had risen from $1,428 per year. Per year? Wait, 1000 per year or 1000 per credit? Maybe it's per, maybe it's per credit. Okay, $1,428 to $4,230 <gasps> during his tenure. While UC <gasps> undergrads went from paying less than $3,900 to $12,150. Oh my It's God. four times the amount. Four times. Both systems were offering a diminished college experience with fewer class choices, fewer professors, and fewer athletic programs. Um, to balance chronically out-of-whack budget, Schwarzenegger began te- tearing at the state's social safety net. With his line-item veto pen, he cut billions of dollars allocated for AIDS prevention, oh. battered women's services, health care for poor children, drug treatment for pregnant me? women, and rental subsidies for st- struggling seniors. Wow. As a prelude to signing the 2010-2011 budget. Some hero you are. Yeah. As a prelude to signing the 2010-2011 budget, the last of his tenure, Schwarzenegger eliminated $256 million in child care for low-paid workers recently off of welfare. Come on. $80 million for investigations into child abuse and neglect and $133 million in mental health services for special ed students. Come on. When his second term ended in 2011, the governor had the same disapproval ratings as his predecessor, Gray Davis. <sighs> so here's something he was really good at that I thought you would like, since we I like to end on a, maybe a good note. Okay. Because he really didn't do, he wasn't that great. 
No, but he was he, he was handed a bag of shit, and he then he yeah, handed, yeah. when he left, he let the bag of shit was twice four times yes. the size it was when he got there. Um, um. So the for the environment, he was like a hero. Okay. I thought you would like okay. this since you're a big environmental person. Uh, one of his top issues was the environment. The state of California, while he was governor, sued the EPA under George W. Bush's administration, challenging its recent decision to block California rules curbing greenhouse gas emissions from cars and trucks from new cars and trucks. In 2006, he signed the more comprehensive and, and binding Global Warming Solutions Act. He soon became the most important, important environmental warrior in both Hollywood and wow. American politics, spreading his message throughout the country and across continents. Wow. Why don't you expand your mind to other mm. social justice issues? But I love that. I mean, and, and California. It was a big thing for him. They have a California suffering over there. Yeah. I mean, wildfires. Droughts. Small, droughts. Yes. Oh. So that's it. That's the story wow. of Arnold Schwarzenegger. So... Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <gasps> oh my God. Yeah. Today I'm going to tell you the story of former FBI agent Robert Hansen. Now that sounds familiar. Robert Hansen served as an agent for the FBI from 1971 to 2001. But when he covertly drops off a package in a park near his home, Hansen's caught red handed as one of the most notorious double agents in recent history. Whoa! I'm so excited about this. So I love it. Yeah. You know, this isn't, um, you know, an elected position, but it's still, you know, FBI is all wrapped up in our politics. Yes. So I thought this was a really great little story. Have you ever watched it, The Americans on FX? No. Oh my gosh. You guys would love it. It's 1980s America. Russia, fear, whatever, red wall, yes. I don't know, some bullshit, red curtain, what do they call it? Red <laughs> curtain. Yeah, I don't know. But <laughs> they've got a family living here. Oh. They're agents, but you don't, they're, they look, look and sound and you think they're Americans, but the oh. parents are two uh, Russian agents oh. living here. They have kids. Kids have no idea. <gasps> and they're do, they go out at night and do all this, and they're travel agents. So they like travel and the kids are whatever. Oh. And they, they, it's so, you have an FBI agent moves in across the street. Ooh. And then friends with the guy. You got to watch the I show. I have to check this out. It's so good. Oh and the ending, God. I got to tell you, it's one of the only shows where the ending doesn't disappoint. Like even oh. to the end, it was like still a really great show. Oh, so that's good. I yeah. love that. I hate yeah, yeah. when it, I hate when it's like a Dexter ending. Oh, please. That was like the well, worst. That's supposed to be coming back, by the way. I know. And I don't have uh, whatever channel it's on. I don't have anymore. So I'll have to figure out a way to watch it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So our story takes place in Virginia. And according to the FBI website, the FBI field office in Richmond was established in 1937. Mm. And it, I just kind of was looking at what they covered over the years. And in the 30s and 40s, they covered an array of cases from car theft to kidnapping. And they even dealt with uh, war dissenters. Mm. And then over the years, like in the 60s and 70s, they dealt with civil rights issues and they looked into um, like how poll taxes are unconstitutional and kind of did that. And then they expanded their undercover work during that period as well. And they even worked on stings like uncovering stolen historical memorabilia cool. and like stuff like that. Yeah. And then, um, of course, after 9-11, they end up focusing a lot on acts of terror. So I want to get into um, the details about he got how he got caught, but I want to just kind of dive into his treachery throughout the years. Because remember, he is an agent from uh, 1971 mm -hmm. to 2001. So he starts working for the FBI in the 70s. And according to a CNN, 
CNN article, uh, Robert Hansen Fast Facts. Hansen began his work in 1976, and three years later, three years later in 1979, he starts spying for the Russians. And in fact, he's the one that approached the Russians. Mm. So he joins the FBI, and it's like just three years later. So remember, he's there till 2001. So he is like working as this double agent for years. I wonder how many times in those years he was close to getting caught. Well, there are, there's a couple moments. So early on, uh, history.com notes that he begins working with uh, this group uh, called GRU, Mm G-R-U, which was the organization of the main intelligence administration in Russia. And that group existed until 1992. And one of the first things he does is he tells the Russians that a Dmitry uh, Polakov, was, who was a Soviet general, was working as a CIA informant. Mm. So he's like, hey, just so you know. And so that guy ends up, they execute him. Whoa. Yeah. So like early on, like, and that's probably how he's establishing trust, right? Like, I'm going to give you this information. But I mean, it leads to someone dying, which wow. I, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. crazy. So... That's around 1979, and he stopped spying for them in 1981. Mm. And in 1985, he starts spying again, but this time it's with the KGB. And like before, he's the one that reaches out. And according to McDuffie, he sends out an offer to send a ton of intel for about $100,000, which today would be like almost $240,000. So basically he's saying, I'm going to give you like this package of intel for this amount, And I'm happy to keep giving you intel for for a price. And he's essentially putting together this long-term plan to like work with them. Again, the way that he establishes trust is he names three other Russians who are working as spies. Americans, wow. Yes. And like um, Polakov, two of those uh, people are executed and the other is sent to a labor camp. So like the rest of his life. Here's what's crazy is that whoever's working those spies... Yes. Starts to realize like people are going missing, right? Like, yes. That's, and then that, there that, must be something some, they've been discovered. How did they get their yeah, names? The mole, who's, yeah. Like is there somebody in this house, like in our house, yes. in the FBI? Like what's the deal? Yes. Oof. So um, I just, the thing that's just crazy to me is, you know, he's building trust with this group through the debt. Like, you know, it, it's not like, oh, here's like some proof that, that I'm on, uh, you know, that no, I have this info, but bad. You know, he, people are dead. He doesn't care. Doesn't care. Um, and Brooke Masters of the Washington Post pointed to even more betrayals. Nine, uh, in fact, that so it wasn't just those, um, the original guy and the three other people, right. but it was nine in total that wow. he um, ratted out. You know, ratted out. Yeah. So the other thing that's really interesting is he never gave the Russians his name. So they never knew, you know, he, he you know, wrote these letters they communicated with him like, Hey, I'm working. I'm, I'm, you know, um, how could agent, that be? But without giving a name, but the way that he's, but then when he's like, here, these people are working for us. They're like, okay, this guy's legit, but he's covering himself by not revealing a name. That's, that's incredible. And he only went by an initial, um, he had a couple aliases, but the main was the initial B like mm-hmm. that was it. Just B. Um, Mary Ann Barton of patch noted some of his other aliases as, uh, Ramon Garcia, Jim Baker and G Robertson. So mm-hmm. he just had, you know, these names. And according to the CNN fast facts article, Hansen stopped spying for the KGB in 1991. 
they note that it may have been because he's suspicious. Like he starts getting a feeling that people well, might be on to him. Yeah. Well, even when he stopped he earlier under, and then came back. Yeah. I'm going to get into, yeah, okay, okay. into that. Okay. So he um, uh, decides to stop. But then in 1999, mm. he decides to start again. Dang. And this time it's for the Russian intelligence agency. So at that time, you know, there was the KGB, but then the KGB had like splintered off and mm-hmm. like wasn't what it was anymore. And then now there's this um, Russian intelligence agency, which is like our CIA. Right. And he continues until he gets caught. So in addition to giving up names to Russia, Barton noted that Hansen gave intel on U.S. nuclear war preparations, (gasps) several top secret communication programs, and a listening tunnel beneath the Soviet embassy in Washington. So like they're listening in on. Wow. Yes. You Um, have got to watch The Americans. It's so good. This is all this. This is what this is. It's so good. So So in addition to that, so there is this incredible affidavit. Uh, that I have in our notes that lists like the letters that he wrote. Wow. Um, all of the chart. I mean, it's long and it's so good. Um, so please check out that yes. website for like all of the, I'm kind of just going to like summarize some of the things that were in it, that it outlines, um, you know, the specifics. So it lists letters that he wrote, like I said, the evidence, the secret drops, his oaths. Like they're like, these are the oaths he made as an FBI agent. Like everything was on there. Um, Jeez. It's really, really good. So um, some things that were on there were he compromised several top secret and classified documents, some pertaining to double agent investigations. Uh, And now this is interesting because he was able to be a step ahead because he's like on these like classified teams and he knows that they're looking for someone, you know what I mean? So he's always like a step ahead because he's like getting the intel. This is, it's it's it's, unbelievable. And so like, how can he sit there and listen to this and know and know that it's him you know and And so the other thing he was able to do was he knew where all his drop locations were so he was able to look and see is anyone working near these areas are that you know are they surveilling these spots so like he was always Mm. um you know kind of looking into that to make sure that he was covering himself and the drops are called so there's dead drops and then there's live drops. So he was involved in what's called dead drops. And a dead drop is a place where a double agent or a mole will leave intel. Mm-hmm. Um, and a live drop is like you're at a park bench and you're sitting there and you're yes. like passing the envelope like, right. with an actual person. Right. This is, hey, there's a designated sp- spot. I'm going to drop it there. The money's going to be at another spot. You pick up the money and like that's how he did right. it. So it's just really, it's wild. So uh, other things he did was he compromised U.S. electronic surveillance, revealing what the U.S. was monitoring. Oh, my God. Uh, And it was a lot of different targets in terms of what the U.S. was looking into. But now the Russians know all of that info. Um, He compromised work the FBI was doing in terms of investigating what the KGB was up to. And in one case, he gave up intel telling the KGB who they were investigating, and it jeopardized the entire investigation, like the whole investigation over because of that. So in the end, he delivered 55 secret packages of info, 38 computer disks of uh, information, and 6,000 pages of documents. Oh my God. Isn't In exchange wild? all for money. Yeah. So the affidavit notes that he received over the course of his spying. So there was a couple um, different things. So one article said it was about $600,000 in cash and diamonds, <laughs> and that Russians had put funds in escrow which that ended up amounting to like $800,000. And then 
uh, McDuffie's article um, in Timeline noted that he made about $1.4 million. So a high price to be such a, a traitor. To yeah, the I mean, holy crap. Yeah. So how does he sort of uh, get busted? What is like the final yes. thing? So according to Nix's article on history.com in February 2001, Hansen dropped off classified documents at one of those dead drops. They were left in a garbage bag in a park near his home in Virginia. Agents saw the drop and they had also, while they were sort of surveilling that area, they had also discovered $50,000 in a garbage bag. Mm, that was his pickup. would have been the payment. Yeah. So, but when the eight, so when he's there, he does the drop, they roll up on him and, uh, Hansen goes, what took you so long? Oh, what? That's the title of this episode. Oh my God. What <laughs> took you so but, long? I was like, whoa. Did, were they looking at him specifically? Yes. Okay. Okay. So, so yeah. they were on to Hanson since December, 2000. So December, 2000, February, 2001. So it's like, a, okay. you know, they finally like they realize. Really, yeah. And what happens is. is they have to be very careful. Yes. And whatever information they like, sometimes they'll give false information. Yes. Like they'll just drop a piece of false information on one person. And if it, they'll see if they hear it on the other side yes. or whatever to see. Maybe so this, for, for this, wow. according to CNN, they had found um, his fingerprints on some evidence. And Ugh. also there was a Russian agent who was pissed off about something and ends up giving up Hansen as a mole. Whoa. And they also end up with a dossier from the KGB all about Hansen. Wow. So like they end up with all this info. But did it have his name on there or was it no, just, no, it was so the they, aliases? They, it's the aliases, but then this other person kind of names right. uh, Hansen. And another fun fact and I read this on a, a, a sort of like this, this wiki blog. So like, I don't, I could not find like a legitimate source yeah. for it, but supposedly his brother-in-law, who was also an FBI agent may have also started suspecting oh. Hansen and may have like tipped off, but I, I couldn't find like anything else mm. to like corroborate that. Wow. He had balls. He had a fucking, an agent in the family. Yes. So 21 counts of spying for uh, the Soviet Union, Russia. And he ends up pleading not guilty at first, okay? Yeah. And his litigation strategy, which I thought was funny, one thing, at one point they try to use the insanity defense, according to Master's Washington Post article, <sighs> and they basically pointed to his pornography obsession mm. and his affair with a stripper, saying like he was sort of out of his head and that... Oh, shows please. that he wasn't in his right mind. Give me a break. Yes. Um, that doesn't work. So he ends up pleading guilty to 15 of the charges in order to take the death penalty off the table because, mm. like, with treason, like, death penalty is, yeah. you know, uh, a thing. So in the aftermath, he's sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. And for the first six months of his sentencing, he had to fill in his former colleagues of all the shit he's been giving. Wow. Russia. So he's like, he's got to come clean. So they spend six months with him. Like, what else? What else? What else did you do? <gasps> oh, how and, embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Crazy. What and then so shit. I know. So his apology uh, in court, uh, quote, I apologize for my behavior. I am shamed by it beyond its Ill illegality. I have torn the trust of so many worse I have opened the door for 
calumny against my totally innocent wife and our children. I hurt them deeply. I have hurt so many deeply. Wow. U.S. Attorney Paul McNulty's statement um, after uh, the court case is, quote, Robert Hansen was trained to catch spies. He was an expert at what it took to avoid being caught. And he was caught. And he was punished. And that's what will happen to anyone who betrays this country. Mm. But a long time he wasn't caught. Wow. So some points of interest. He was this big time Catholic. And he was also reportedly a member of Opus Dei. Oh. I know. I was like, what? That's deep, man. Yeah. I mean, that is like, uh, that's like, for those of you that don't know, it's, it's sort of this branch of the Catholic church that teaches that everyone is called to this path of holiness mm-hmm. and that even your ordinary life, you can become holy or saintly by sort of following mm-hmm. a particular path. It's like a really serious, devout, devout yeah, yeah. part of the church. Um, CNN and history.com noted that Hansen's wife found evidence of his spying back in 1981. What? Remember the first time when he stops she didn't really do anything about it. She found this info, info. She's like found documents and money and she begs him to stop. And according to her interview with the New York Times, she said that he told her that he was just playing the Russians and giving them false info. And she doesn't know, like he works for the FBI. So she's just like, okay. Um, and this is my favorite part. So according to history.com, she gets him to confess to a priest because they're like these big time Catholics. And the priest tells him, all right, well, the money that you took, donate it uh, to charity so that it offsets the dirty money you're giving it to something else. And at the time, because 15 Hail Marys and you're good (laughs) and you're good. Yeah. So remember, this is the early eighties when he's first caught. So he, he hasn't, uh, it's not the 1.4 million at the end because he's just kind of stopping. And so he decides to do that. Um, and, it ends up almost uh, bankrupting them because like he's got to give all this money to charity to try to like earn his penance for the crime that he did. But then, you know, we know that he started back up and wow. Wow. A clearance jobs article by Caroline Diagati uh, notes that even though he worked undetected as a spy for several years, he still garnered attention because his behavior was atrocious. Uh, at one point they had transferred him to the state department and she reveals that he once threw a female coworker to the ground because she challenged one of his statements. And she also says that he all, um, often carried two guns with him at all times. Well, so he's got like this super paranoid. Yeah. And he's moment, got this attitude. Um, Katie uh, Royfe of the Guardian said that Hanson's fellow agents said he often acted odd in social settings and his <sighs> wardrobe of ill-fitting dark suits led to the moniker the mortician like that's what they called him. like they were too tight or they were too too big it just says ill-fitting so just you know he's in these like black suits all the time that don't fit him well so they just start calling him the mortician i just don't understand i don't and he's still under- working for the fbi but like how does he square that how does he square this catholic throwing a woman in the I, ground like, i how, don't know how does he square the stealing like what i it, it, i almost wonder like what what gave him the three so, years in? Like, did so somebody, did someone say I you're read, never? I read one of the articles um, noted that when he was a kid, he had read something about spying. I forget what the book is. And he was like, that's, that's what I want to, it's sort of like 
that was sort of he wanted to do this. Like it was intriguing to him. I but don't isn't, know. Can't doesn't he get enough of that just being an agent? Like, I mean, why would is this, what's this double? And when he started doing it, like we were at the beginning of this thing with Russia. Yeah. Like why? What? What in the? Was he approached and he did it? Like no, what he the, he's the one. Remember he yeah, approached, he approached them. It's just so crazy because he probably is like, oh, I can do this. I have all this information all at I can my think fingertips. Is like, I mean, all I can think of is that something happened at the office. Somebody said something and he's like, fuck these guys. I don't know. Right? I, I don't know. I think it could be power too. Like he has all mm. of this information and yeah. what can I do with wow. it? I don't know. So, uh, so good. The Agatsy's article backs up this idea of him sort of being, um, kind of the oddball at work. And, and she says, quote, he was demeaning to coworkers, resented authority and thought he was smarter than everyone oh, around him. There it is. Ego. That's it. That's it right there. Um, and the other thing that I thought was really interesting, and some of these letters you can find in that um, document, the government document, the affidavit, mm-hmm. um, Royfi's article, she explains that she describes the written exchanges between Hansen and the Russians, the Russians almost like love letters. And she cites one particular exchange. So Hansen writes, for me, breaks in communication are difficult and stressful. Giving up on me is a mistake. I have proved imperatively loyal. And it brought me great joy to see the signal at last. You know, like, oh, you finally reached out to me. And then it's a, the only a letter way he from feels the, important. And then a letter from the KGB. Dear friend, time is flying. As a poet said, what's our life if full of care? You have no time to stop and stare. We also acknowledge again your superb sense of humor and your sharp as a razor mind. We highly appreciate both. Your friendship and understanding are very important to us. They're stroking him. Oh my! They know God. that that's what he needs. Yes, they know that that he needs that to, to keep coming back for but more. I I was like, wow, yeah. look at this. They're playing him. Yes. Um. And then another relationship is that uh, former exotic dancer that I mentioned that he tried to use as the insanity defense. Lord have mercy. And it's a Priscilla uh, Galley, mm-hmm. and that relationship started in 1991. And according to CNN, it lasted a little over a year. And in that time, he gave her money, mm. trips to France and Hong Kong, jewelry, a computer, and a Mercedes. And ABC News reported that these gifts totaled uh, close to $80,000. Mm. And she also said, again, she, she notes uh, uh, that he was very Catholic and talked to her a lot about his Catholic faith mm. and... Um, according to ABC news that when they'd hang out, he would talk about that and he would try to get her to connect to Catholicism and like almost like convert her and even asked her to go to his family's church. What the fuck? I know. <laughs> like, he's, he's breaking his vow. Like, <laughs> it's a crazy, so. it's a way we, we convince ourselves. We can, you know, yeah, we're, like, I'm going to save her. I'm doing this thing. Yes. that's bad, but this is the reason yeah. why. I have to save her. She and needs weirdos. to be saved. Really, and that's the and story. Really, it's his penis. I know, please. <laughs> penis and his ego. Yeah. Come on. Wow. The downfall of men. Yes. The really? spy who lost everything. Robert Hansen. I, Amazing. I just was like, I kind of uh, started reading about this and was like, wow. Like, it's, it's just. That is a great story. It's incredible. I, I cannot say it again. You have to watch The American. Start watching yes. it. Let me know what you think. But also, like what you were saying, like. I have seen so many times now in the last week what we have mentioned a thousand times on this podcast, which is the the ego of men will is going to destroy us all. 
Yeah, you know, just the ego. The same thing here. It's like just this ego. Same thing with the White House right now. It's just this ego of men. It's going to completely destroy us. It's destroying our planet, <sighs> our environment. I yeah. mean, it's incredible. Hubris. Incredible. Hubris is the downfall. Yes. Always. Just everyone should just read Shakespeare. And maybe they, <laughs> they would uh, understand things a little bit more. Yeah. Wow. That was really good. And it makes me want to watch that show all over again. Because yeah. it's so interesting, fascinating. And it's just, it, it, it's heart racing to see how close, you yes. know, that they get to being caught here. I mean. To people like finding out to, it's just. And all of the money. I mean, I wonder how was he handling the money that his wife not. I, I was thinking I, I the same thing. I didn't really get into the spending or how they right. lived, but he, maybe he was just a very careful guy. I mean, and then, and if there was that suits. accountant escrow, yeah, he yeah. wasn't buying new suits. I mean, what a, what a wacky, he's spending yeah. it on the girlfriend. Yeah. But that's, you know, 80 K. So who knows? Oh, wow. Amazing. So good. Well, I guess that's it, right? Yeah. Do you have anything else? No. Let's see. This is coming out December 2nd. So we're getting close to the holidays Yes. Uh, which will be nice. Oh, yeah. And we are going to do an Ask Us Anything segment. So mm. if you have questions that you want to, us to answer, we're going to just do a fun little show where we just kind of answer your questions. Yes. All right. Well, good. Yes. Send us your, send us, you can do, send us a message on Instagram at the Monk Podcast. You can send us an email at the yes. Podcast at gmail.com. Um, I think. I think that's the only two places, but anyways, yeah. yeah, send some information, send some questions over. All right. Yeah. All right. Bye. See you next week. Bye. Yes, bye. If you want to see any photos or take a deeper dive into our stories, please follow the episode notes on our website, themuckpodcast.fireside.fm, and be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Muck Podcast. To support The Muck Podcast, please visit our Patreon page. We have three levels of support and different goodies for each level, Muckraker, Policy Wonk, or Bleeding Heart. We can't do it without you. Music for The Muck Podcast, written and performed by Sean Doherty.